0: How are you? How are you getting on? My name is Colin, and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by my good pal Darren Barry. Darren is the owner of the Gluten Free Kitchen as well as Canassu, the Holistic Hub, which is a healing, which means healing in the Irish language. And uh, I've got a quick Irish lesson just before this podcast. So, Darren, I'm absolutely chuffed and delighted to have you on the podcast, coming all the way from Trillie County, Kerry. And how are you getting on? Good to see you. I'm
1: good. Great to see you and great to have the
0: chats. Yeah, thanks a million. Sorry, I absolutely butchered the name of your company. I I got your name right, Darren. Like, I was, like as you as I said, to you, I was just picturing a, a deer going inside a house. So a new deer in. So yeah, I got that right. Anyway,
1: you did great. It was like when Darren Gary he started Two FM a few years ago, and they did a big marketing campaign how to pronounce their name. And I said, this is great. This is just like what I need for people to understand how to pronounce Darren.
0: <laughs> I love that. And so are you? Are you full blown Grail talk? Are you full blown Irish speaker?
1: So I would have been sent to primary and secondary school all Irish um but I have to say I I'm not fluent um but because I just haven't been practicing over the years like I've gone from school a long time I turned 44 next week so when? I left school at 18 um but I should I look when I'm speaking at I get into the rhythm Oh, um, it's, my it's, son went to Irish secondary school So that helped And he didn't go to primary So I was very impressed That he wanted to go to secondary Irish
0: oh, it's smart Oh yeah, I oh, remember um, I was doing a hike in, in curran a uh, Two years ago And I met a girl at the top of it And she, she came from a talked down in Dingle And she was rare to speak Irish And she did not speak a word of English Until she was about six Isn't that mm-hmm. crazy? Uh-huh. And like her, her only she could only speak Irish, uh-huh. which yeah, is gas. And, and
1: I relations
0: that were like that too, that only spoke Irish. Isn't, isn't it mad? I, I, I know, even when I travel, like, so to some place I don't know, like. That Irish is a language. Like, I remember I was in a hostel over in Thailand, and all, all these all these American people. Oh, this Irish is a language. Can you can you speak Irish? And I'm terrible at Irish, but I was like, yeah, I can speak Irish. It was like, it's not Cork and Millish. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? It says you have the brave ir- eyes of an Irish warrior. <laughs> like, <laughs> just just making things up in my head. Oh, very good. Yeah. But um, so tell us a bit about your company and how it came about.
1: So I set up the Gluten-Free Kitchen Company in 2011. Um, I saw a gap in the market for quality food that did not contain the gluten protein or the four grains that celiac can't consume, which is uh, wheat, rye, oats and barley. So I had no um, catering background whatsoever. I just loved to cook. And I started selling my bread and cakes at a farmer's market and the brand started and um manifested and I've been in business now since 2011 but on a very small scale so the last eight years I have been incredibly unwell um so I had to scale the business back but um I decided to kind of have a new angle to the business which was the holistic hub and i decided to name it KNASU because KNASU is the irish for healing and i basically wanted to set up a platform where people who were going through what i'm going through in my journey um, would have a platform to reach out for support if they needed it
0: That's powerful I I love that and and, and that's and that's always the thing isn't it that there sometimes when we are going through a struggle would be whatever the thing may be maybe trauma maybe emotional maybe even physical or you know that we do feel very isolated and feel like we're the only kind of people going through it you know and I, I love when you see like like yourself so many people on social media now that are so open and and raw and 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 honest about the the struggles that they're going through, and other people see that and go, "Well, wow, I'm not I'm not the only one that's feeling that way." Because you feel when you're in the dumps, you're down in the dark, or you're just not feeling yourself. You think like the whole world has just left you behind, and you're the only one that's feeling like that, you know. And I love seeing people like yourself just putting out that positive message and you know, letting people know they're they're not alone. But give us a bit of context of of your story and your background and and how all this came about.
1: So I would have had um, medical symptoms from a child, like from a baby, right? From when I started drinking bottles, I couldn't keep, my mother would tell me when I was older, I couldn't keep it down. I had symptoms that she could not get to the bottom of. There was nobody in Kerry that was Able to give her daughter a diagnosis. So I always had like the special milk, you know, she was trying me on different um, diet related, it was all diet related. And so I kind of grew up as a child knowing that I couldn't eat this or I had to have this type of milk, but I had no diagnosis. So when I was 22, um, I was. I got the news that I was going to have a baby, and he wasn't planned. But I was so delighted when I found out that I was pregnant. And after having, I had a very, very difficult uh, first trimester. But again, this is back in two thousand and one. There was no information in Ireland about the type of information that's out there now for women. You know, like I didn't know that I'd certain um, symptoms of. Anything related to anything for another while, do you know? Mm-hmm. So I was just getting on with things and I had my little boy and literally my immune system started to crash. And it was just one thing after the other. So when he was about six months, I first had a clot literally behind my left eye. I woke up one morning, no sight, said it to my dad. He was like, What? We've to get you like to the hospital, do you know? Um and they sorted that. I got my site back. Still no diagnosis. And about, my son was about one. And I was doing so much research to try and figure out what was wrong with me. Like, I had so many symptoms. So I got diagnosed first with celiac disease, which is an auto, autoimmune disease. Um, that literally, the protein, gluten, are the grains, that are wheat rye and barley if you if you consume them it triggers your your immune system to attack itself mm-hmm. so i cut all gluten out but i didn't like the highly processed foods that were available so i started cooking for myself but i still wasn't feeling great like an, after a year so i did further investigations and i got diagnosed with stage four um, endometriosis at the age of 26 and um, that is a gynecology disease so it's very like a benign cancer but um, it's not terminal but can turn into a terminal cancer if it's not monitored so I basically was given the diagnosis and sent on my merry way and then I just kind of you know fell into hospital appointments and everything was going fine and until it wasn't basically (laughs) um and in 2015 i was diagnosed with a tumor the size of a watermelon and things kind of went up in the air after that
0: oh my god yeah yeah it's a lot (laughs) yeah no no 100% like it's yeah it's, it's like yeah, you really do take your health for granted. You know what I mean? And like that I can only imagine the difficulty of not not knowing what's wrong, like you know what I mean, chopping and changing what you're eating or what your lifestyle or just trying to get a diagnosis and just trying to find out what what's up like. Why why am I feeling like this? Or what is the issue? Is it something I'm eating? Is it something I'm doing? Is it something in my genetics? It's you know, I'm we're just constantly trying to eliminate things to find out what the what the what the issue is like and for for you today, like what sort of things you do to kind of, you know, ma- maintain your kind of peace of mind and your mental health to, to deal with them sort of things.
1: So for a long time, like, and when I say a long time, it was only twenty twenty two that the Irish government actually announced endometriosis as a as a, a disease that needed to be um, funded. Um, but it came out in October twenty twenty two that if this is a worldwide problem. So it's it can take up to nine years just to get a diagnosis alone because it's under resourced worldwide. So there's so up until then I had no idea of any of this information. So I was genuinely going, this can't be just me. Like I, you know, it's not a it's not a just me problem. Like it has to be, there has to be other women, but I couldn't find those women um, for a long, long time. And then through setting up the business in two thousand and eleven. And going to different markets and going to you know putting myself online and um speaking about it openly, people were coming forward in private messages and telling me that they had the same experiences and you know that was a little kind of the start of me finding a route to understand that it wasn't just me and then that was do you know that was helpful, even though I was still dealing with the everyday. I then just kind of had to fall into, you know, balancing well-being. Like I, I was a single mom. I did have um, co-parenting from, from his dad since he was one, but I, I had my own mortgage. I was at home doing all the parenting um, obligations and balancing an illness that I didn't have a lot of information about. So I kind of just, I you know, I got into well-being uh very early on like I, I taught myself how to do yoga out of a book in 2002 do you know well, yeah, so yeah. go to yoga then when there was classes Um I did I was very active up until I got diagnosed with tumor in 2015 I used to do kick sanity mm. classes twice a week I was walking five times a week I was very fit and then I couldn't do it anymore so that hit me I was like I can't go to my kick sanity where like I was used to going to that class to kick out the rage or kick out Mm. the, whatever, you know? Um, so everything had to slow down. So meditation walks on the beach, um, yoga, holistic rituals. Um, I got really, really interested in holistic rituals. Like I was listening to one of your podcasts about the cacao. I got introduced to cacao about three years ago. I mean, that's incredible. Okay. these different type of rituals so that's kind of what i had to learn to incorporate into my life was the slowing down you know slowing the body down
0: okay that's powerful yeah i think that 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 is a it's a learned skill you know listening to the body and and just learning to rest you know because i think over the years like I, I ran my body into the ground so often you know because obviously being busy for me was it was a coping mechanism you know but I don't sit with myself, I don't stand still, that means I can't feel what I'm feeling. So I just found that movement and constantly be distracted and like fitting like a week's living into an hour would like distract me from sitting with myself and feeling pain and feeling my reality and, you know, just not being comfortable in my own skin, you know, and then slowly learning to rest and, and learning to sit with that discomfort and I... It wasn't, it, it, the only reason it was uncomfortable because it was so unfamiliar. I was so, you know, not used to sitting down with myself or getting to know myself because I didn't like myself that much. I was always doing something. I was always on the go. And then just slowly sitting down and being like, why 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 can't? Why do I struggle to rest? Why do I not, like, being in my own skin, like, you know? And the more I kind of explored that and it came to liking myself, the more comfortable I got with resting and sitting still and, listening to the body and starting to, like that, the yoga taught me to connect my mind with my body and my body with my mind, where there used to be this massive disconnect where my mind wanted to go, go, go all the time. It was just full of beings and my body was like, needed to be in a nursing home because it was just worn out from constantly being on the go and just learning to listen to my body and learning to listen to my mind and through meditation as well, just learning to appreciate the stillness and and the you know the calmness that can come with just sitting still and and being relaxed, you know.
1: Mhm. And I learned. Um, I did my Reiki one uh, practitioner course in two thousand and eleven, and like that, what you just said, learning to listen and to slow down. And I think as Irish people, anyway, we weren't allowed to slow down. Like you had to be doing something or else you weren't successful. You know, you had to be on the go and. I suppose at the like when I got diagnosed with endometriosis, my body couldn't physically be on the go. It just mm. couldn't, and I had to nearly switch off the outside no, noise and just listen to my body and say, "Well, no, this is how it's going to be." Do you know, like this is how what my body needs. And mm. I just I got so intuitive. Like I re, I've got it. I've got a tattooed on my wrist. Like my intuition told me. Mm. Like it's.
0: You have to learn to hear and feel your body. Yeah, it's so true. And I I found that even with my nutrition, I'm starting to eat so much better now. You know, I I, I rarely drink caffeine. I don't eat sugar anymore. You don't eat refined sugars. You know, I I, I eat a lot of greens and I eat like good lean meat, you know, and, you know, just things that make me feel good. And it's like nearly that my body craves it, like. You know, my body functions so much better And my sleep has gotten so much better Because because of my diet, you know Eliminating sugar and and caffeine And, you know, I sleep like a baby And I think the better I sleep The less crappy foods I I crave And I found as well The more I kind of don't work on myself The less of a need I needed for comfort eating as well I'd binge on food for comfort Like, you know, and then I'd, I'd be caught and I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh boy, did I, eat that? I need to go and run a marathon now. And you'd be just caught in this kind of pain pleasure pleasure uh, paradox, you know. And I found that the more I was able to kind of sit with myself and be peaceful with myself, the less I needed to reach out and find an escape and things like, you know. And, but I think like, it's, I, I suppose it's, it's difficult as well because these are all kind of learned behaviours and trying not to give ourselves... I had time with with things like that either, like, you know, and that's why I think nutrition is so important because everyone's different, like a diet that works for you and one work for me and, you know, it's kind of learning to, you know, not just kind of eat blindly but eat for, listen to your body and see what food you need, what, what food fulfills you, what food gives you energy, what food gives you a good clear mind, that you have good cognitive uh, performance as well and physical and you know you, you sleep well you've good energy you've good mood your stress levels a lot and I think like food is medicine like but at the same time I think um, like that a lot of them, I, I used to have really bad stomach issues as well and I found it was down to stress you know at the time I was suffering really bad from IBS and all this stuff and I I, I kept changing my diet and I couldn't get down to it and what I realised was that I was in a job at the time and It was like going down, it was just really toxic and I was in a relationship that was on and off, on and off. And my dad was unwell at the time, he was really sick and, you know, all these things that were contributing to my stress. But I didn't know that I was just an autopilot and just putting my head down, turned to work as a distraction, became a workaholic. And my stomach was in a jock. I couldn't eat anything that, you know, had really bad IBS. And I just, my, my stomach was in bits. And I thought it was the gluten. I, was, I tried all the different diets, gluten, dairy, you know, loads of stuff. And couldn't do all these tests in and out of the hospital. And I just found that uh, it, was, I mean, it was only when a doctor turned around and said, like, what's going on in your life? And I had, like, a chat with him. And, you know, he said, like, it sounds like it's stress, like, you know what I mean? And for the first time, I was like, well, I don't get stressed out. Like, what are you talking about? I don't get anxiety, you know, because I didn't know those words for all these things that I was feeling. And it wasn't that I got anxiety. I got anxiety so often that I didn't know what it was like not to have anxiety. Like, my uh-huh. default autopilot was anxiety. So uh-huh. I never knew life without it. So it was all I knew, you know. And um, so when I started to deal with that stuff, my, my, my like, stomach issues haven't like just c- completely disappeared and they haven't been back since because I'm had to listen to my body now and manage my stress and kinda rather than going, Oh, this doesn't this is feeling quite stressful or overwhelming, I got I'll get go, I'll, go, I'll do it anyway and it's like no, listen to listen to your body, listen to your intuition, listen to your gut. Like your your gut is your is your for me, it's my Google Maps, you know what I mean? It tell gives me direction and in all in all aspects of life and you know, when it, when I, I listen to it and it's off, sometimes it's just, just something that's not aligning with me in my life that I'm not dealing with, like, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And our gut is our brain, do you know. And, like, when I started the Gluten-Free Kitchen Company, and now it's nowhere near, like, as big as I thought it would be at the time I started it. And there's different reasons for that. But one of the reasons were I wanted to keep my product fresh mm. and good ingredients. And there was no point in changing from a gluten filled diet to a gluten free diet and still eating all the processed foods that are available you know mm-hmm. um because it 's our gut that we have to heal, yeah, and that can be done through nutrition and well being mm-hmm. and you know I think it 's great that there's so much information out there now, but there really wasn 't you know twenty odd years ago when i had when I started on this journey of of um living a lifestyle with my diagnosis. Um, but there's so much more information out there now about the nutrition, but the the well-being of the mind. And once you get your coping mechanisms for the for minding your mind, everything kind of starts to slot in, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I love that, yeah. Now, 100%, like, I think that is the thing. It's like if you hurt your knee or your elbow or whatever... And you went to the physio, and he give you he gave you some safeguard and kind of protocols to prevent. To, to first of all get it back, then to, to, to function in a normal manner, but also to prevent it in the future. And I think that's the same with our mental health. You know that we have stressed ourselves out to a point where you know we're like burning out, or we're having panic attacks, or we're de- we're just completely depressed, and using that as as a way of saying, right, that's the red flag. That's the that's the symptoms. What's the cause, you know? And we go and address the symptoms. We get back to functioning again, and we go, right, what was the cause, and what can I do to prevent that uh, that happening again?
1: Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it's you know it's it's learning as well that, like you just said earlier about having the word anxiety and knowing what that actually meant by putting a word to it, like we need to be able and comfortable to use the words that we're feeling Mm. like if we're feeling miserable we should be given that space by family and friends to say yeah i'm miserable today but it doesn't mean i'm a miserable person to be around it's just i'm giving a word for how i'm feeling today i'm not asking you to fix it i'm not asking for advice but I'm holding space today for myself, and today I'm feeling miserable so I'm going to wrap myself up and whatever or today I'm feeling amazing do you know it's yeah. allowing space to give a, a word to our emotions yeah. and it's something that we weren't given that I suppose space for a long long time. I do feel since the pandemic that more and more people are are, are you know meditating their going out into nature they're using words there's so many more holistic hubs out there which is brilliant because it's growing a tribe and this isn't something new this is like back generations even in ireland like back to pagan times is where the rituals and the healing you know was happening on a regular basis
0: yeah it's it's amazing isn't it i don't know like like you go to any indigenous tribes, they always have like a healer or a spiritual being that you can connect with for wisdom, like you know, or shaman or whatever. And I think it's in more modern times we don't really have that. I suppose we had it as, as a, like with, with a priest, but I think so many young people and um, have just gone away from you know organized religion now, and I think that's why like. For me, I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be connected with any religion per se. I'd be quite spiritual. And I, I would have a really strong connection with a higher power, and uh, and I think that's a really big part of my recovery and me maintaining my peace of mind and my well being is faith, you know. Um, and I dip into all all different types of religions. You know, I'm a seeker. I seek I seek that uh, connection in, in everything and all beliefs and philosophies. You know. But for me, I, I just find faith is a massive part of of my recovery and, and, and a big cause of my peace of mind. And, you know, so I always try and keep that at the forefront of my life, you know. But, like, you were talking about the, um, you know, the pandemic and people opening up and talking. And particularly at the moment, there seems to be, a, like, you know, a lot of people kind of struggle with their mental health this time of year, particularly with men, you know. What, what advice would you give to any men that were kind of, struggling to open up and and talk about their mental health
1: i think it's so important that you're surrounding yourself with positive and and this is not like positive people it has to be people that are really going to sit there and listen and understand and hold space for what you're going through and having someone that you can trust and even if that's the gp do you know if you feel like it's not your buddies that there's one person you can reach out to and say, do you know what? I'm feeling this way. And how do I, you know, what should I be doing to not feel this way? Um, like you, you, you and I spoke about, obviously there was a, you know, I've, I've had suicide has darkened our door. Um, it happened in in May, 2012. And um, it was, an ex-partner of mine, we hadn't spoken in 15 months. We'd been extremely close. Um, he had been dealing with mental health for a long, long time. And I had to, I'll never forget that day that I had to tell my 10-year-old child that he had taken his own life. but I didn't break the news to him that way. I actually, he was, he was a, a garda. I told him he'd been in a garda car accident, is what I told him. Um, but it was all over the papers like it made front page for weeks and weeks and weeks and I had to keep my son out of the shops so he could not see the papers because I thought he was too young to be impacted by that type of information um but I also wanted to break it to him in an age-appropriate way and he read it in the newspaper because he came to me and he said you told me he died in a car accident and I said okay and he showed me and he said this is how in this how it happened why did you lie to me and i said i didn't lie to you but i felt i could only tell you what i felt you would be able to process for your age um and that's 10 years ago now and Mm -hmm. it impacted both of us so severely that it all opened up an opportunity that my son can tell me he can voice how he feels he can communicate with me. He's turning to anyone now. If he is going through stuff, he will come to me. And I think that is a huge, um, you know, it, it, I suppose I can't even find the words, um, reflection on my parenting to him, that he's able to come and talk to me. And I keep saying to anyone that I, when I'm, you know, speaking about this on social media is find one person that you feel you can turn to, even if that's, um, phoning a do you know you work with the wear isn't it hmm. if you can just pick up the phone and ring somebody and say this is how I'm feeling because it may feel like it's huge at the time but when you break it down it gets easier and seeing a counsellor is everybody should be seeing counsellors you know everybody should be
0: that's powerful it really is like and yeah you know suicide is never something that you kind of Get your head around, you know, when you're a your family affected boy. You know, my, my brother-in-law took his own life, you know. um, been nearly 10 years ago now. I actually had my last drink with him. Um, and then six months later, we got a call, you know. And it always strikes me, you know, because I, I got sober, you know. But I was really close to going down that road myself, you know. Because um, I just felt like it, it was a solution at the time. Because I think when you're down that low and you don't see and you're there kind of way right to turn, like, you know, and and today I'm just so blessed that I didn't, you know, go down that road and, you know, if anyone is ever thinking that, you know, it's like there, there's always hope, you know what I mean? There's always people out there that love you and want you and need you, like, you know, and never needing that, that's the, that's a, you know, solution to, 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 to turn to, you know, and it's a, yeah it's a temp- It's a permanent problem for a temporary solution like you know but for you like going through something like that what advice would you give to other people who may have been through that type of grief
1: like i had just leased out the cafe unit in the march to start my business and me this happened and i threw myself into work and for anyone thinking of doing that it's you know you're not you're not ending your life thinking that you're doing that for other people to know that your pain is going to not burden people anymore because what happens is you leave such an empty hole in people's lives and the impact it has is you know it. Grief, and I saw a lovely, um. there was a lovely poem about it the other day, and I put it up on on the social media platform that I run. And basically, you learn to live with your grief. It, it never goes away. There isn't a day that goes by that the person isn't thought of. And if you're thinking that's the way that you're thinking at the moment, that, that you want to end your life, like it really is not, it's something that can be helped. And there are so many people out there that love you. And they really do love you. And maybe you're just surrounding yourself in the wrong environment for now. Um, But I do think that a counsellor, like going to talk to a counsellor, a counsellor is a safe space. They're not there to judge you. And even one session could be the session that, you know, that saves you.
0: And is there like supports out there for families affected by suicide?
1: um 10 years ago, 10 years ago there wasn't a lot no um i put my son into counseling straight away into art therapy um and every so often like we had another trauma then happen you know with me getting sick and then the the breakup that happened 6 years ago was a huge trauma for us i just made sure that i got us both into therapy straight away. Um, I was able to go out to the addiction centre in Kerry called The Grove. It's in uh, Ardford. And there was counsellors there that were able to facilitate families in addiction. So the families of the person in addiction um, are, but not really for grief. Jigsaw were very, very good. Mm. I thought jigsaw were amazing. I put yeah. my son into Jigsaw for a while after um after we had the breakup of a relationship six years ago. But initially, no, I didn't. I didn't feel that there was a place that you could go that we're dealing with um, loved ones who, who had gone through suicide. No.
0: Yeah, Jesus. There was. Um, <clears throat> I remember my family. We uh, we all were in touch with a console, and uh, I think they. They would have had a lot of things in place, you know, talk therapy and, and things like that and and groups and different support groups and things like that, which were, they were a big help at the time, like, you know, but um, it's just, it's, it's just when something like that happens, it's just a shell shock, you know what I mean? Like, you're just going to autopilot, you just nearly go numb, like, you know, and I suppose it's just a. It's it's just a coping mechanism, you know, and, and, and like since I've gotten sober and got to know a lot of people in recovery and, and just see the link between addiction and suicide because you don't realise that addiction, you know, when you're addicted, you feel like you're a bad person, you know, you feel like there's something wrong with you, you feel like society has left you behind or you feel like you're less than everyone else, like, you know, when you're you're just down in the gutter and you don't know why you feel like this. the
1: language around it the language has to change yeah because with addiction and my experience obviously I it was people I loved who were who were in addiction um the language around it this dirty word and attachment to it when actually it can affect every walk of life mm-hmm. and I think when a person and you, you will be the one to answer this, like when you're going through it and you want, you don't want to be addicted anymore. Like mm. it's not something that you've got up in the morning and said, I, I'm going to be an addict today. Do you know? It creeps in on your world and then you have to try and find a way out. It's having that safe, those safe words around the language associated to it. Do you
0: yeah, know? So true. And yeah, like. That's the thing. You just you feel like you know when you you feel like if you're getting out of everyone's way, you're just you're doing them a favor. And what I didn't realize, it wasn't a bad person trying to get good. It was just an ill person trying to get well. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I even when we do the we do the homeless runs in the city center, you know, and. Just to be able to kind of see people down on their look and be able to kind of look them in the eye and have a chat with them and ask them their name or ask them what their opinion is and you see that life just coming back into their eyes and just to see their face lighting up because someone's actually having a chat with them and making them feel like a human because like that we do like when when you're you are addicted you feel like you're less than everybody else you know and the shame comes over you and you're just like. What's what's the point, like you know, and um, and I always kind of and even when I see other people, that tell me their stories and how they how close they've come to suicide and how they turned the lives around and went on to kind of use that as an example to to help other people and use that lie to to shine up the the road for for other people. It's, it's truly beautiful because I have loads of friends that were like. Heavily, heavily involved, addicted, and involved in crime and drug dealing and using drugs and alcohol and whatever—all these sort of things. And they—they they went into recovery. They got sober, and now they're fantastic counselors. They're fantastic, you know, um, addiction counselors, of the facilitating. You know, treatment centres, uh, they go out volunteering with the homeless and people who are struggling with drinking drugs and they, they're just amazing people that just have used their experience but also their academia to give back and and help people and it's, it's like they've walked the road and they understand the the, the life experience but also... They they understand it from an intellectual perspective from going to college and whatever. But I always found that I remember going to see a therapist before and one of the greatest therapists I ever seen, and he was also in recovery. And I ne- I didn't know this until the third or fourth session that he, had, he he told me he was. But prior to this, we had such a strong rapport, and what I realised that he understood me not just from from like listening, but he walked this a path also that I was on and where I'm at and he was able to un- completely understand that not just through a book but also through his own life experience so essentially it doesn't matter like how far down the road you've gone or how far in the gutter you feel you are you can always turn your life around and help someone out like because your darkest rock bottom will soon be someone else's survival guy. that you will gain experience from that moment and use it to help someone else, to lighten the road for someone else who might be there, you know. And that's how I got sober. I was hearing people that said, Yeah, man, I've been there, you know, and I'm, I'm sober now, you know, or, and I've been down that road and, you know, we know what it's like. There, there is hope, you know, there, there's always hope out there. And that's a beautiful thing from hearing from people who've been at them rock bottoms and now they've found a way out and, you know, it's, a, it's like that. I heard an analogy before, you know, the, the the only way to stay in the lifeboat is to reach a hand down and let, and, and help the next guy onto the lifeboat, you know. And that's how I, stay, I try to stay sober and, and, and keep my peace of mind is to always reach down and help the next person get into the lifeboat.
1: That's amazing. Because as well as that, like, the compassion has to be there by the people that you're surrounding yourself with. So, like, when we were dealing with addiction in our household like there's a lot that needs to be put in place to make the person feel safe be able to tell you they're having you know i feel like i'm going to relapse or i have relapsed instead of this you know unsafe environment where you're judging them are giving out to them are isolating a person like that's where i suppose with my um speaking openly and on a public platform was to show anybody that was either um, the family or loved one of someone in addiction or the person in addiction, that there's nothing at all wrong with you, like if you're feeling unwell and go to the doctor and say, I'm feeling unwell, it should be the same around your loved ones. I am not feeling well, so I'm using or I'm taking a line of Coke or I'm drinking a bottle of whiskey like the 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 openness around the language has to improve for everybody to be supportive because you don't know who's in addiction. Do You know, you don't know that it's your work colleague or that it's the person standing next to you at the bus stop or getting a coffee. Nobody knows
0: how what at what stage of the journey people are at so we have to be compassionate don't mm, we you know that's a yeah compassion is a massive part you know and I suppose for me um, like there's so many people that were really good to me when I first got sober. you know we, like I attended Alcoholics Anonymous and you know I met other people who kind of walked the same road and path as me and just said, look, man, you know you're going to be okay. You know, just just keep coming back. You know, and no matter where you're at, you're always getting that understanding and that compassion. And and just again, it's not you're you're not. There's not something wrong with you because you're addicted to something. You know, there's not. It's something to be ashamed of. You know, it's it's you know when we're so wrapped up in addiction, we're just going to survival mode. You know, we don't mean to be selfish. We don't mean to harm people. We don't mean to you know, it cause all this chaos, you know, we're just trying to get out of pain. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just seeking any means possible to get, to soothe this pain that we're feeling, a pain that, as you said, going around the, un, an undiagnosed pain that is so apparent but is, is un, un, undetectable, you know, mm-hmm. and undiagnosable because where is it coming from? I just feel this empty, lonely darkness within me. I don't, I don't know where it is but The only thing that seems to suit it is when I take a substance, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I feel great and then I feel like a human being because before I take this, I don't feel like a human. I feel like I'm left out of the circle, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm just wandering around the world, trying to fit in, you know, and just feel less than society and less than everyone else. But when I take this substance, when I take this alcohol, I feel part of, I feel like the main man. I feel like whatever's missing in me, is now back again, you know, and it assumes whatever I'm missing. And so naturally you're going to develop a dependency, you know, because this thing feels somewhat like a medicine, you know. So every time we take it, it's going to fix me temporarily. But then the, the consequences come, then the side effects come, you know. So essentially it's like a medicine that makes me sicker. And that's the insanity of addiction, you know, doing the same things expecting different results you know I'm taking the drink for the short term uh, medicinal effects that treats me uh, mentally makes me feel good but long term it's enhancing my anxiety it's amplifying Uh my fear Uh it's making me sick mentally spiritually and physically but yeah I'm still chasing the little short term escape I get from this pain that I'm feeling and that Uh keeps me coming back and that's what makes a feel so attractive and I keep, I keep coming back every single time. And when you come into somewhere, so you, you think, so you start to feel like there's something wrong with you. Why do I keep doing this? You know, and then when you go into a place where there is a sense of community of people that have been down that road and understand the other recovering alcoholics or addicts or people struggling with their mental health that have been there, you, if straight away you get this sense of belonging, you get the sense of I'm not alone. And that's why these like mental health support groups are so successful and some of these get togethers, you know, just like the the CDIP communities or the hiking communities or the support groups, because we're we're a tribal species, you know, we're a pack species. So being together in a tribe, we feel a sense of belonging. We feel a sense of connection. And but when we're around people as well, that understand us, that get us. And I think. That was the hardest thing for me, was to be understood. I never felt understood in my life. And the people that don't understand you from the dialect that you try and tell them or your, the, 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 the vocabulary that you're using, but they understand that I've been in that pain also. I know what it's like. I've been in that pain. You know, mm-hmm. and straight away, you're just like, yeah, this, this this person gets me like. mm-hmm. And
1: when you see the pain, like the pain doesn't have to be like... It's. It doesn't have to be verbalized because it's like the same, you know, if somebody's showing you how they are, believe them. Mm. It doesn't have to be words that are used, like it's behavior. And mm. you learn very quickly about someone's beha- pain through their behavior or through uh, someone's happiness through their behavior. Yeah. Do you know?
0: Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. yeah that's that, that.
1: deep and powerful. Sorry. Very
0: deep and powerful. Yeah, true, true. Very, very deep conversation. Yeah. It's uh it's funny actually. I was uh I was up with the doctors there the other day. I get me I get my blood done every six months. Not because like just because that's part of me being sober now. And my sponsor always says that to me. It's like adhering to your just your responsibilities. Living a sober life doesn't mean living abstinence from alcohol or substances, or whatever. It just means being more responsible, taking care of yourself, taking care of others. You know, being reliable, being reliable, and being useful. And part of that for me is like, right, I'll, I'll start looking after my health. You, I've never, I've never been to the doctor in like in about three years and then last year I was actually on a podcast and was talking about getting a bloodstone every couple of months and especially when you do a lot of sports so I went to I get my bloodstone every six months anyway so I went to the doctor today, the and they had this this book that I actually read, a real spiritual book. And we were just chatting away, and the, the bloods came back fine. Everything's great, grand, all is good. And we sit there and end up having this. Re- I said, "Are oh, you reading that book?" And bloody blah, blah. And uh, it's it's un- untethered soul, uh, Michael Singer. I don't know if you've read it, but no, uh, re- write it down. Oh, it's a brilliant book, and we just end up having this really deep chat about philosophy and spirituality and and things like that. And uh, it's just it's. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just great. And also, I love, I love deep chats. Like I'd sit there because I've talked, I've, I've been, I suppose I've, I've talked so much nonsense in my life just trying to fit in and be liked and accepted and push down the deep mind that I had, you know, since I was a kid, I remember being in like school and looking out the window and wondering like the trees of consciousness and, and what's behind the stars and, you know, just really deep thoughts and always suppressing it because i felt like i was a weirdo for thinking stuff like this because none of the other kids done it or none of the other lads you lads are in the pub talking about the match or whatever and like i love football myself but i always like had so many questions that i couldn't find the answers to like you know what i mean like why are we here why are we just floating in space you know what are the stars made of like you know and all this just deepness and i love when i get other souls that uh just understand that that deep sen- that deep sense of meaning, and just other philosophers or prophets or people that you can just have really profound conversations with. That just yeah, just kind of stimulate your soul, or your soul on fire, like you know.
1: Yeah, I think my junior infants teacher said that to my mother that I was living on the clouds, and she was right. Love and it. you know, I I started writing um, publicly a long time ago, and. I did face that from people who knew me they said have you lost your mind like what are you doing putting all that up on for the whole world to see and I was like but sure that's what social media is there for it's to use the platform for to to grow communities um do you know I mean I don't want to sit in a room full of people and talk about other people I want to talk about where did you come from like what's your past life do you know yeah. You know, were
0: you burned at the stake because you were a witch? That's what I want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, 100%. that's what you find. You find other people. Look, I always think I was really unique in how I thought and how I felt. And I don't know, as I went on in my journey, I just started to meet other people that just had the same thinking mind as I did, you know, thinking those deep thoughts and deep philosophies and just thinking outside the box, like, you know, and. And, yeah, you just find that you think, you think of the, you've this terminal uniqueness and the more, kind of you go on in life and the more you open up about what you're, actually what you're thinking and what, you know, what, what your question, big questions are about life, you know, the more people are going, kind of, yeah, I think like that too, I get that too, and you just end up having this really deep, meaningful uh, conversation. Mhm. Yeah, and it's, it's also being okay with that. Like, you know, yeah. if someone thinks
1: you're a weirdo, fine, you yeah. know, that's fine
0: celebrate your weirdness, celebrate your uniqueness, you know, that's the, uh, okay. that for me is, that's how you live, that for me. You know, I always annoyed me wearing and I think that's where a lot of my addiction would have stemmed from as well. I think because I suppose I grew up in like a somewhat dysfunctional home, and I moved around a lot as a child, and I was bullied as well a lot as a kid. So I found that we hit, if we played all these different roles and characters, i would get approval of the lads, you know. And then that became the most important aspect in my life was approval from from people around me. You know what I mean? And, and suppress and hide who I really am. So you're denying your actual being. You're denying your authentic self at, at the expense of who you really are, you know, just to get oh, someone's approval or whatever. You know what I mean? And that, and mm-hmm. that madness yeah. and growing up and still doing that as an adult, still kind of wearing the masks. I missed the happy go lucky or the tough lad, you know, I won't approach him because he looks scary or he's strong shapes or, you know, or with the funny lad. He's too, he's too nice not to like or, you know, all these, masks that we wear just to be liked and accepted by the people around us and then just denying who we really are and we feel as we suppress who we really are slowly and slowly we start to feel that ukiness in our stomachs just saying, I'm not being real here, why am we doing this? Like, you know, just starting to yeah. feel this awful feeling and, and we started, and then I've used alcohol to suppress that and then enhance the character I was trying to play, it was... You know it was the most popular lad in the pub. It was full of banter, full of jokes, full of crack. But when I went home, it was hollow. It was just a ghost. I wasn't present. You know, we didn't. I didn't know how to maintain normal relationships. I didn't know how to do things that normal people seem to know how to do effortlessly. You know, I was like, is this is this stuff sent around in like? You know, in the, with the phone book, how to be an emotional, a present person or emotionally balanced. And you know, I remember sitting in the pub one day and one of the lads came in late. I said, what you got up to today? And said, I went for a walk with my ma, you know, we were just walking in the park for an hour chatting. And I remember thinking to myself, what the fuck did you chat to your ma about for an hour? You know, because I, I never had a relationship like that with my ma because I was just so obsessed with drinking. I was never able to hold, just like be there for my family, have these normal connections and relationships. I, I didn't know how to. You know, and 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 then I was because I was so obsessed with getting a couple of getting approval in the pub. You know, and then when I got sober, you know, today I had to be there for my family. I had to be present with my family. You know, I had to be have gotten great with my and today. I'm really blessed for that. Like you know, and that's only true sobriety. But before that, you know, I was never. I was always an actor. I was always portraying who I really was because I felt. It's such a high fear being rejected and being, being you know, shunned upon because I was such a deep thinker. And that's why I love having these deep conversations today where I can just be myself and open up and be that open but be that weirdo, celebrate your weirdness, celebrate your uniqueness, yeah. you know, because there's too yeah. many sheep out there, you know what I mean? And
1: it's amazing, you know, how portrayals, like people think that they – know someone are. That person must be doing that way. Like, I never took a drug in my entire life. I smoked weed three times in my entire life. Alcohol, yes, I probably drank way too much of that at times, but I never I, I never had a, an addiction to alcohol. I was able to get myself home. We own an off-license. I've seen people Jesus. in the depths of, of addiction, do you know? Yeah. But I lived with a DJ and people, they, they assumed I did drugs. But There were nights I went to his gigs and I wasn't even drinking and I was up and I was dancing up in that stage because the music was my drug and it was you know it was later that people said were you not doing drugs and I was like no I was never doing drugs I I never did drugs like you know like where did you get that idea from because I was in a nightclub you know and it's I don't know I don't think it's an Irish thing because I've traveled all over the world as well I just think it's it's who you're hanging about with and it's yeah. the influences you're around and if you're judging other people then you've got to break that habit do you know yeah, you so,
0: have to break yeah. it, it true to,
1: yeah you have to stop i know, like stop and think before you speak like i have a great relationship with my mom i always hung out with her my son has a great relationship with me we're nearly like brother and sister the way that me and my son you know have a bond and like he's turning 21 in March, and I was like, do you want to party like a do you know, like organize organised party, and he said, no, I don't want to party. So the two of us are heading off to Amsterdam on our own, do you know. Oh, and I was unreal. like, do you want to do that for your 21st, you know, and he's like, absolutely. I love you
0: know? that. I love that. That's unreal. I mean, it's great just to be able to do them sort of things, you know, not need to rely on drink or drugs to confidence, you know, because that's why I, I used to always associate drinking, being, like, popular or having a great social life or being able to go and do these things, go travelling or go to a football game or go to a nightclub or go to Amsterdam or wherever and not need to take a drink. It seemed bizarre, but you know what? Like, to be able to do all this stuff, sorry. I, I find that I appreciate it so much more. You know, I'm not going these things hungover or blacking out or, like, limited because I'm drinking. You know, I'm able to go and actually explore if I go go away have to go and explore you know see the whole place not like I, go, I was in like I go to Spain you see people in the back of a pub an Irish pub and it's pitch black and you're like it's lovely and sunny out when you're sitting in the back of a, a pub doing the same stuff you can do at home like would you not be out exploring and making the most of when you're away you know but I just found out when I got sober, you know, just being able to go and do this stuff and have the opportunity to do all this stuff with a sober mind, I appreciated it so much more, you know. But, Dorian, I'm just saying, uh, sorry, Darren, Darren, yeah, okay. Darren. I'm picturing like Deering walking into the house, Darren, Deering, just aware of the time. Uh, just before we shoot up, I'm just going to shoot up, shoot off, I should say. I'm just going <laughs> to, given the theme of the, the, the podcast, uh, I'm just going to ask you some quick fire questions. Is that all right? Yeah. Uh, what is the greatest advice you've ever gotten?
1: The greatest advice is really to, it's, it, it's intuition. So if you're feeling it, trust it. And that's kind of, yeah, intuition, you know. Trust lo- your intuition.
0: I love that. What's your definition of happiness?
1: Um, my definition of happiness is being around the people that make you feel good.
0: I love that. What, you know, are, what are your three non-negotiable behaviors people must have around you?
1: The non-negotiable. They have to respect if I'm telling you that it's making me feel uncomfortable then it's making me feel uncomfortable um i don't like when people give advice when you're sharing something i feel if you're there to share let the person share if they want advice uh, like they'll ask but don't offer advice to someone who's about to share something with you
0: i love that that's so true like, yeah, it's like when you're listening. I think Jay Shady says it: don't listen to reply. You know, listen to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's beautiful. What what legacy would you like to leave behind?
1: Oh, that's a deep one. I suppose I want to make sure that if I can help one person, you know just one person, then I've i've succeeded in passing a forward or paying a forward.
0: I love that. What advice would you give to yourself just starting off, teenage self?
1: Um, If I was to start off all over again, I would have trusted that I didn't have to be liked and appreciated to be validated.
0: That's uh, good.
1: You have to like yourself.
0: That is gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. Darren, thank you so much. If people want to get in touch you or find more information on the Gluten-Free Kitchen, how can they do that?
1: The Gluten-Free Kitchen Company on Facebook or Instagram. I'm, I'm on TikTok, but not very successfully. I, I don't think I can do all that um, dancing around and lip syncing. Um, I don't know. I'm don't... very active on Instagram. Okay. So you can get me on my website, the gfkitchenco.ie are the social handles and then canasu is linked to them so i'm easy to find
0: Darren, that was absolutely a, a magic beautiful lovely and deep conversation and i thank you so much for coming on and being so generous with your time
1: thank you so much
0: catch you soon
1: bye